Good morning, everybody. You're a bunch of hardy souls out here on old frozen Sunday. Thank you for being faithful. I think every Christian, if at all possible, ought to be able to go on a short-term mission trip. How many of you? How many of you have been on one of those? Okay, I see anybody back here. Okay, anybody over here? We'll work on you guys. Okay. I, uh, David and Pam just got back from one uh, just a few weeks ago, and they went to Honduras. And I know that they're all go, always going to remember that experience. I have uh, vivid memories of three different trips, uh, two to Haiti and one to Honduras. And uh, the first trip to Haiti, we went to speak to a group of pastors, uh, faithful, just dedicated individuals who who labored in obscurity. Uh, they would wander out, and Haiti's not a large country, but they, they spent most of their time with small congregations tucked away back out in the middle of nowhere. They faithfully proclaimed the gospel in a country where witch doctors and satanic activity of all kinds, satanic worship, uh, is just so common. And one little fellow, he, he was a pastor. He walked for three days to get to the mission where we were all meeting together. And uh, he was seven. He said he'd soon be 75 years old. And I was thinking about that. And I was thought, I'm not sure I would be willing to, to, to walk that far at age 75. I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble at my age right now walking around. So, But he was such an encouragement. Through our interpreter, he told me that he would... Uh, he would couldn't be able to stay for the whole event because he needed to get back. It took him three days to get there walking and three days to get back. And not, that's not much time to get your sermon ready. But uh, his problem was, he said, I can only travel in the daytime because at night I have to hide. And uh, we asked him about that. He said, well, there's roving bands of Satan worshipers that come out in the darkness. And uh, I, I can't afford to be caught by one of those. And, uh, and I thought, my goodness, you know, and we struggle to get to church, you know, if the road's a little bit uh, slick, you know. The testimony of this humble pastor was a real demonstration of faith to me. I'll never forget him. Yeah. You know, some form of the word faith occurs over 430 times in the Bible. And last week, Nick introduced this series as he preached from Hebrews 11, where the, this is the chapter that celebrates men and women who, and they were, who were commended for their faith, their ability to see things other people couldn't see, their trust and hope in, in God. And the testimony that they had was recorded in Hebrews 11, verse 6. I want to read this passage. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what we're talking about in this series is a fundamental essential, an absolute essential to your Christian life is faith. Whole soul trust and belief in God and Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11, verse 6, again, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Abraham stands as a pioneer of this way of thinking and living. And what we're going to do is be looking at his life as we go through the next uh, several weeks. You know, I think most of us would probably be like the father that's in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, who pleads with Jesus. He says, if you can, my son is sick. I, you know, I really, really, if you can, you can heal him. And Jesus responded, if I can, all things are possible for those who believe. And then in the very next verse, the father is recorded as saying this. He says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Now, I resonate with that. Do you? Uh, The challenges we face sometimes, uh, we want to hang in there and we want to be strong in our faith, but it's not very easy. You see, belief can be partial. Most of us would be like, not kind of like the Father, I've got about maybe 60% of, of faith or belief but I got about 40% maybe of, of, of doubt that just keeps working in and, and giving me grief. I read of a missionary family who was visiting in a friend's home while they were on furlough, had their family with them. And when the missionary children were called in to dinner, their mother said to them, said, now remember, be sure to wash your hands. Now I love this. The younger brother frowned and muttered to himself, Germs and Jesus. Germs and Jesus. That's all I hear. And I've never seen either one of them. Don't you love missionary kids? They just tell it like it is. In Matthew 17, 20, though, Jesus does chastise his disciples for having so little faith. He said, i tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here over to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Our Lord knew how big a deal this was. The awesome power that's released in the life of you and me when we whole soul trust in the scriptures and hold our faith very close. And our prayer really ought to be, as we go through this series, that of the disciples over in Luke 17, 5, when the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Add more to it. It's not what it ought to be. Increase it. I hope it's our prayer over the next six weeks. Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham is the father of three major religions of the world. He's the father, obviously, of the Jewish nation through his son Isaac. But he's also the father of Islam through uh, his son Ishmael. And the father of Christianity through his descendant, Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 11 praises Abraham as a man who demonstrates faith in action. He discovered over the course of time that he could trust God to plan his life and lead him step by step. And he found that even in his his mistakes, even in the things he struggled with, he could still be used by God if he had a repentant and teachable spirit. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, that's right where we're at. That's why I know it's where I am. And how important it is to, to remember that God is for us, not against us. What I want you to see about Abraham, besides this teachable, repentant spirit that he had, what I want you to see are three facts about his faith. Recorded for us in Genesis 12, and I, we can apply these diligently if we will. 
Number one, first of all, he believed God's promise, even though that promise seemed impossible. He believed God's promise, even though it seemed impossible. Here it is. This is the bold promise. It's verse 2. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, this promise seemed impossible to Abraham. He just couldn't believe it. His wife had been childless and was now 65 years old, and Abraham was 75. When I was growing up, I heard of a pastor, actually it was a teacher named Isaiah Moore, but our pastor talked about him all the time at our home church. I never met him. But Isaiah Moore was a much beloved professor in Bible college, and he was 89 years old. His wife died, and so he was a widow. But shortly thereafter, he decided to remarry. And a friend asked him about it, and he said, well, I've always wanted to have a son. And his friend said to him, Isaiah, you should be president of the Optimist Club. <laughs> kind of hard to pull that off in your late 80s. But against all hope, the Bible tells us, Romans 4.18, God had told Abraham, you know, you're 75, but you're going to have a child. He was going to be the father of a great nation. And it was so impossible and so crazy that Romans 4.18 says this, against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as God had told him. You see, faith is believing that God exists and that he is always going to do what he says he's going to do. God reveals himself in creation. We see his awesome power. Now, we all know it hasn't appeared maybe directly to us in some of these ways we're going to read about but he does reveal himself to us if we're listening and watching. In our conscience, for example, instinctively, we believe there is a God, but God has revealed him most clearly in his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews 1.1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Jesus himself declared, John 14.9, Anybody who's seen me, You've seen the Father. Now, of course, we don't see Jesus physically anymore, but we do see Jesus when we examine God's Word, which reveals to us God's will. Romans 10, 17 reads, Now faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. You see, you don't increase your faith by sitting around and staring at the wonder of the stars at night, though they can certainly be amazing. You don't increase your faith much just by reading what the great philosophers had to say about God. If you really want to increase your faith, all of us, then we study what the Bible says. And we have a regular plan to do that. The scriptures that reveal Jesus to us. And you find that what God has said, He will do. What God has said He will do, we can look back and see that He's done those very same things. He is faithful. Listen with me. God told Noah, if you build an ark, you'll be spared from the flood. That seemed absolutely impossible. No way that could be. But what God said, He did. God told Moses, I'm going to rescue the Israelite slaves of Egypt. That seemed impossible. There was no way that could happen. But God said it, and He did it. 
God promised Joshua, you march around that city seven times and the city will fall. And that's what happened. God told a young shepherd boy named David he would inherit the throne of his father David, the throne of King Saul. And what God said, God did. He promised Gideon that with just 300 men, he could conquer the, all the hordes of the many, thousands of Midianite armies and soldiers. And what God said, he did. He promised Elijah it was going to rain, but there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And in fact, there had been a drought for three years, but it rained. God told Naaman, though he had an incurable disease, his leprosy could be cured if he would just dip seven times in the, the Jordan River. And when he did, his flesh became like that of a child, even though it seemed impossible. God told the people of Israel he was going to send them a redeemer to save them from their sins. And what God said he would do, he did. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But I'm coming back out of that grave. It seemed impossible. Yeah. But what Jesus said he would do, he did. Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, verse nine says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Now, now faith trusts that God's going to do what he says he would do, even though it just doesn't look possible. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear. Trust in me, I will supply all of your needs. Give and it will be given to you. If you die and you believed in me, though you were dead, I will raise you in the last day. And faith walks and trusts in these and the dozens and dozens and dozens of other promises that are found in God's word. Even though they may seem to be impossible to us. If you just claim the promises of God and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek Him. It will bring peace to your life. That's the first thing. God is faithful. And then secondly, Abraham obeyed God even when the future was uncertain. He obeyed God even when the future was uncertain. Verse 1 we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Now the name Abraham, or name Abram means exalted father. Where Abraham is going to be changed to that. It means the father of many nations. So the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Now I love verse 4. It says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him. Isn't that great? That's what's called obedience. You know, What would we have done? We would have said, well, no, what exactly are the travel plans here? How long are we going to be gone? What do I need to take? I mean, what if, what's it going to cost? Oh, what an amazing thing happened to Abraham. His move was especially risky because he was 75 years old. And it's kind of tough to uproot at that age. Also, Abraham was rich. We read later they had many possessions, lots of livestock. And this was at a time when there was no such thing as homeowner's insurance or livestock insurance. Hard to get out livestock insurance anymore. In fact, I... I should have dog insurance. What about you? Any of you have dogs? 
How many dog owners we have here? Just out of curiosity, okay? And don't be ashamed. I mean, you know, you know. there's quite a few here. How many of you are happy dog owners? My hand is now down. <laughs> Our dog drives me crazy. Now I just, and I owe it so much to a dear sister. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a witness. <laughs> Bless your heart, there's never been a time, though, you've come by to take that dog and out to lunch or anything all through all these years. So, gave me this little fluff ball about that big. You know how cute things are when they're little? I mean, every one of us, believe it or not, with the exception of a few, were cute when you were little, you know? And this little fluff, fleur ball, what, just, just wasn't that big, has grown into this thing that's this big, you know, and he... Lays on the couch and anyway, I'd... I'm so sorry. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here with me today to share this message. And I hope my wife's not watching either because it's really her dog. <clears throat> but this was a big deal, you know. He was living a very in a very leaving a very cultured area and going into the the wilderness, in a sense, to a place he'd never been. Middle of nowhere. He was also taking his extended family on this journey. His father, his nephew, the nephew's wife, his servants. And there had to be a sense of responsibility that he's taken on his shoulder for all these people. But the most difficult, the most hardest thing for Abraham to, to do was one thing. And you, you're going to relate to this. He had no idea where he was going. Now, what kind of a trip is that? I mean, most of you know where you're going to go when you die. It's Florida. <laughs> you know, you make trips back and forth all the time there, you know. No, I mean, but, but, yeah, listen, listen to what this says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I mean, can you imagine telling your family, you just announced one day, well, we're moving next week, and I have no idea where we're going, but we're going to move. J. Oswald Sanders said one time that true faith is content to travel under sealed orders. Yeah. True faith will travel that way. If you walk by faith, it's going to be risky. I mean, do you have the faith, the courage to obey when the future doesn't look too hot. You know, if you walk by faith, you may be called upon to sacrifice and make some sacrifices. Maybe it's something really valuable to you. Maybe your resources. Maybe your, your money. Maybe your comfortable life. Maybe to obey God might mean for you that you risk losing popularity or maybe if influence. God may call some of us to risk our pride. We know how we feel about that. Maybe, maybe you've always been proud of your intellect. But yet, deep down, you know, you kind of want to accept Christianity, but you think that to do so might be to embrace the faith of the simple-minded. So you come to church, but you kind of you remain uncommitted and undecided because not because Christianity is not intellectually sound and credible. 
but because you just can't bring yourself to swallow your pride unless someone else leads you. And you're what some people have called you're 18 inches from the kingdom of God. They, I didn't measure this, but you know, basically from your heart to here, you know, that's the difference. You just can't believe. That's the distance. There's another promise in Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. You see, faith believes the promise and faith believes God's command, even when the future is uncertain. Kind of like now. You confident in the future? What a strange time we find ourselves in. But I want you to see a third thing about Abraham's faith. He worshiped God even though his circumstances were imperfect. He worshiped God even though things weren't maybe the way he wanted them to be. This journey was not an easy one for Abraham. If you read the previous chapter, his father died halfway to the promised land. And then in Genesis 12, verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. See, God had told him to go to a place he would show him. And when he got there, he found it was already full of a bunch of other people. He hadn't bargained on that. He had not bargained for war. You know, we don't mind accepting God's promises by faith as long as we don't have to suffer, as long as it doesn't cost us anything, not the, not, as long as the circumstances and everything is just great. We're all for it. God had told him to go to this place, and he would show him, and here were all of these. He, it was never in his mind to have to displace all these people in order to claim the land that God had given to him. But notice verse 7, notice what he did. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He's going to worship. He's going to, he's going to put a stake in the ground here and going to say, okay, God, you know, I'm here. How, how's this going to work? Verse 8 says, from there, after he built this altar, then he there went on toward the hills east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel from the, on the west, Ai on the east. So he's scouting out this land. He's still moving forward. And there he built another altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. See, he, Abraham's not sitting around grumbling because the Canaanites have filled this land. He doesn't lose his faith because his father died. He, he stops and, and he built an altar to thank God for the safety of the journey. He was grateful and he worshiped. Do, do you find it hard to come to church when your life kind of gets out of whack and things are hard? Maybe you've suffered loss, but are you able to come to church anyway and, and, and humble yourself before God Almighty? He thanked God for the safety. He was grateful and worshiped even though his circumstances were not perfect. It's a real test, isn't it? 
See, when you obey and the circumstances still aren't ideal, do you keep obeying? When you're generous with your money and the finances go belly up, you keep giving. When you raise your children to know Jesus, yet they rebel, and do you keep on praying for them and believing? When you pray and your health fails, do you keep giving thanks? When you set your standards high for a Christian mate and nobody comes along, and do you hold on to your purity? When you work hard to get bypassed for the work, for the promotion at work, do you keep putting out the best effort? All of these things you do by faith if you're a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, You give thanks in all circumstances. Wow! For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we don't get a pass here. It's all circumstances. Mm. By faith he built an altar and gave thanks as though, even though things weren't ideal. Now, I begin this message talking about mission trips. There were two lessons that I learned from the trips that I take and that I've taken. And, and, and I, was, I was prompted about this because even when we went, especially when we went to Haiti, um, and somewhat in Honduras as well, there's a measure of risk when you go to a foreign country. It's not our world. I came back with a deep, deep appreciation for the old, good old U.S. of A. And especially that beautiful area just south of here called Kentucky. You know, I, uh, I just, you know, we, we whine all the time about stuff. I bet some of you whined on the way to church today. I mean, how tough we have it, how difficult. Some of you are trying to figure out, you know, what to do? Should you grab those, those two couches that someone left at the end of the driveway here? <laughs> and do you just take them home with you? And maybe under the cover of darkness so nobody will see you getting that. See, we learned in Kentucky years ago, if you want to put something out like that and you want it to go really quick, you get a big log chain and you drive a stake in the ground and you stake that thing to the ground. <laughs> and when they come the next day, you will look out there, everything's gone. Log chain, whatever it is, it's gone. Works every time. They didn't stake that stuff down. That's why it's still there. But I mean, you know, we, we have such an amazing world to live in, and yet there's a crisis every time we turn around, seems like. But I want to tell you, when you go to a third world country and you compare their world to yours, if you live in a $200 apartment, you're filthy rich. I mean, how spoiled we are. How spoiled we are. We have reliable electricity, pretty much. Clean running water. Invisible sewage systems. Aren't you glad about that? On our Haiti trip, there were several of us in our group, and we piled into the back of a four-wheel drive truck. And we began a three-and-a-half-hour journey to travel 18 miles. It'd be like trying to get to, to Martinsville, you know, not on a nice superhighway necessarily, but on a road and terrain so difficult and complicated and, and problematic, it would take you three-and-a-half hours to travel that distance. 
and we rode in the back of the truck. I, I thought it, I, I think I thought I should have been asked to ride up in the cab of the truck, but but uh, I mean that would have been my first choice. But you know what? Nobody asked me. They just said jump the back of the truck, and we did. Three and a half hours, and uh, and to try to try to imagine now slowly inching your way on these horrible roads down into a giant pothole that would hold your vehicle, I mean, that big. And then there were four-wheel drive trucks, and then get up on the other side. But not, that's not the primary problem. The primary problem is that the roads are full of people as they move wherever they're going. Some are going to work. You know, I mean, it, 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 bodies everywhere. And they don't even pay much attention to the vehicles going through. Just shocked me. I'd never seen such a lack of infrastructure, but that's what you have when you go to third world countries. There's no highway department. There's no sidewalks. There's no, you know, perk, if you please. And you also, and they also warned us you got to be careful if you're riding in the back of the truck because that's not a very safe place to. You know what they do? Uh, because the people are right there beside you and you're riding in the back of the, of the truck. I mean, you can just reach out and touch them if you wanted to. They're all over the place. But they told us, they said, if you're wearing a watch and don't have a long sleeve shirt on, then take it off and put it in your pocket. Because if you lay your arm up here like this pretty neat, someone can walk on the side of the truck and they slip your watch off your arm and walk away into the crowd. Isn't that slick? I mean, that doesn't happen to you on the way to work here. It just blew me away. I'd never seen such misery. Everywhere you look, near 70, I think maybe 75% now, unemployment in Haiti. Million people live in a garbage dump right outside of Port-au-Prince. City Soleil is what they call it. A million people. That's where the garbage, that's where they live. They eat whatever garbage they can get. To survive. Drinking water is so impure that you can't take a chance. You have to boil it. You have to have a supply of, of pure water, and we don't have it there. That was, that was lesson one for me, a deep appreciation for our country. But the second lesson was not anticipated. It was a realization of just how much Jesus has done for these people as well as for us, but especially the faith of the people that are in this country giving their lives, working diligently to spread the gospel. Just like a little Haitian pastor, you know, that, that walked all those ways just to be encouraged by other Christian pastors. And, and he was so excited to be there, you know, and, and uh, he said he'd never forget it. And, all that. And, and you know what? I go to church every week. You go to church every week. I never hear anybody go out the door and say, oh, man, I can't believe it. I can't wait to get back here next week. You know, you know, it's just totally different. We take so much for granted. Wow. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us there are three things that really anger God. And if you're going to live by faith, you need to know what these are. One was idolatry. Two was sexual immorality. You know what the third one was? Ingratitude. 
in gratitude. But anyway, the second lesson I learned was the fact that how much Jesus has done. I couldn't relate to these missionaries trying to raise their, their families and, and the conditions. I couldn't understand that. Just to share the gospel. But I want you to think about something as we close this. First message on deepening our faith. Don't miss this. Jesus Christ left the moral purity of heaven. And he came down to the moral filth of this world. Born in a dirty barn, grew up in a backwater town, child of a peasant. He once confessed, uh, son of man has no place to lay his head. And then he died on that cross. And when we read of the faith of these disciples and all Jesus did for us and how far we have to go to be like him, wow, a thoughtful believer, you just be overwhelmed. But not by your circumstances. You'd be overwhelmed by love and grace. That's what you should be overwhelmed by. But you know what all Jesus asks in return? is that we have faith in Him, that we believe in Him, that we humble ourselves and put our faith in Him and not in ourselves. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 declares, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Would it be nice for us to come to church without any preconceived ideas about what it's going to be like, but that we come simply to commune and worship the living God, to thank Him for the breath in our bodies, food on our tables, to be able to come together with other Christians who believe this stuff too, believe it and, and live by it. Amen. Amen. Wow. Are you willing to put your faith in that kind of a, Savior, who will give you what exactly that you need, all of us need. We need salvation. We need to be delivered. We can't pull this off on our own. We can't blame our culture and all the stuff around us. We just can't do it because we're sinful. That's why our Bible tells us in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you need to place your membership in the church. Maybe you just never got around to that. Whatever the Lord may be prompting you to do, then our response as faithful followers is to do it. To do it. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Father, that you have been so merciful to us. I thank you, Father, that even while we are yet sinners and still sinners, your grace sent Jesus to the cross, his obedience, his willingness to take upon his body the punishment, the scorn, 
the hatred of a wicked world. He carried all that just because he loves us. He loved his father and he loves us. So, Father, as we continue to talk about this through the next few weeks, I pray that you will move our hearts to think more deeply about the depth of our own faith, the depth of our own belief. Do we have large faith or do we have just tiny faith? And what are the consequences of both? And, Lord, I pray that you will move this church to a new place, a new destination, where church is not all about us. We don't come here because of what we like. It's because we come here because of what you did for us. You loved us so much that you gave your life for ours. And my prayer would be that over the next six weeks, that there will be kind of a revival of sorts in our own individual understanding of what it means to be a believer. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, who was so faithful, faithful even unto death. Thank you for him and the new life that he offers us in Jesus' name. Amen.